Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hidden History Happy Hour with my best pal, Alex Dean. In case there was any confusion about that last time, we're pals. I'm still drinking, by the way, Pusser's Navy Rum. Why? Because we're going to talk about a couple of World War II stories today. One of our Cheers. favorite topics. I'm on, what do you uh, got there, Alex? I got a nice long gin and tonic. Um, I've reverted to my comfort zone as we tell these stories. This is a G-Vine uh, that I've talked to you about before. It's a yeah. uh, French French botanical gin that's made from grapes. And I, I just, I've always found it delicious. Um, in fact, there was a, I don't know whether it was um, fake news before it was fashionable to have fake news or just genius underground marketing but there was this complete rumor going around well, on lots of you know, trade websites and i looked into it and amongst fans yeah. and people that they weren't going to make the more botanical one anymore and i bought a lot of it uh, yeah, and there i it think is. it was at your house when like yeah. nine cases got it's delivered the, no that that's that was wine that was that was a different rush of blood to the head that i had with i had a falling out <laughs> with the uh, a vintner that I I, does, I I may not come out of it badly, but who remembers the detail? I may, I may not come out of it come out of it well, uh, but who remembers the detail? All I know for sure is Harry Potter has no room to live under your staircase anymore. That is still true, uh, and, and indeed, after the wedding, um, we I had because obviously it's better to overorder for your wedding than underorder. Who the hell wants sure. the, the, the latter? So um, I'd quite significantly overordered on the wine. And uh, the delivery company that brought this wine, industrial you know, quantity of wine said to me, are you going to sell it back to somebody? I'm like, hell no. I'm never <laughs> going to get wine this quality at this bulk price again. This Fair is enough. all going to get drunk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so we're going to talk uh, about the so-called phony war before World War II today. And, um, you know, my only excuse for drinking navy pusser's rum is that 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 was a lot of what the british forces uh, drank and also i love it so that's what i'm going to do yes if you're listening rather than watching uh brian's bottle is almost completely empty and i know that's from many sittings not just this one but yes it just demonstrates your commitment to the pusser's rum that's, that's the point i've had yeah. this bottle for ha six months so it's not like i'm pouring it on my Co cocoa crispies in the morning that's exclusively bourbon i pour on my cereal so <laughs> A man of distinction. We're going to talk about the a couple of stories about the phony war prior to World War II. And the reason we're doing this today, uh, as we're recording this on January 13th, Lucky Friday of 2023, is that we're in this interregnum, uh, I, I, I think anyway, Alex can respond, in Ukraine where... Uh, there's kind of a stalemate because both sides are trying to figure out the weather and how solid the ground is and what's going to get frozen. It's not a phony war like before World War II because the war is raging, but there is this this pause, don't you think, Alex? Yeah, you've made the distinction that I would, would have uh, made um, on this topic, which is that once a war gets going, there are quite often in history fallacies 
period, even the worst kinds of conflicts, fallow periods, either the, either the combatants fight themselves yeah. to uh, uh, exhaustion and a pause before they have at it again, or the weather intervenes or, or something. Um, supply chains and logistics mean that conflict right. peter out for a while, people can't press their advantage, whatever. These things all happen from time to time. Phony war is different, where before a conflict begins, um, you have the um the rumor of war has long been with you and indeed it may even have been declared uh but conflict has uh, yet to really get underway yeah and so as we're recording this we're a few days after the um self-proclaimed orthodox christmas truce uh by vladimir putin which the ukrainians quickly pointed out was really a, a resupply and rearming mission and i i believe neither side observed it um, so it wasn't exactly a phony war, but it was a propaganda war, which is what we're living through now. So much of the strategy on both sides is convincing the non-combatants, the allies around the world that your worldview is correct. And well, I agree with that to an extent in that that's what happens in conflicts. I don't agree with that. Um, if it, if it were to imply or impute a kind of equivalence between the Russian and Ukrainian no, positions in their not. comms because the Russians started the conflict and have have, um, have continued it in the, the most appalling of ways absolutely. Uh, and the Ukrainians have been on the receiving and not having wanted the war at all if Russia laid down their arms tomorrow there'd be no war and yes. if Ukraine laid down their arms tomorrow there'd be no, there'd be Ukraine. no Ukraine yeah Exactly. Yeah. And our country is just to reiterate for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time, our countries, the US and the UK have been absolutely instrumental. And and I, I would very proud. Very go proud. so far as to say visionary in supporting Ukraine. So Slava Ukraine. Slava Ukraine. Yeah? All right. If you don't well, like that, you can um the hidden history happy hour is not a place for you. <laughs> that is correct. If if you're self-selecting your entertainment and you don't want ukraine to win and you don't want the west to win and you don't want democratic values to win go elsewhere That's two fair. stories about the forney war alex from, all right uh, more lessons from history thank you let's go let's tell um them. how they longed in the years that followed for phoniness um is how i would uh, yeah. begin this during the phony war of 1939 uh, when I i'm not making this up when one of the greatest threats to the soldiers of the British Expeditionary Force posted on the continent, looking warily uh, at the Germans, but uh, with no conflict, the greatest threat uh, month after month for our medical officers was venereal disease. Yeah, and the um, le the press in Lille, that rather put upon town in France, complained bitterly that the blockage of trade uh, from the war, which hadn't started, prevented the ladies uh, of Lille. From getting perfume and makeup, and in can, a can I just interject? Uh, sorry, Alex. Can uh, I interject a holiday film recommendation here? I know we're after the holidays, and we'll get more into it when it gets to be November, December. But this um, new musical with Will Ferrell and uh, Ryan Reynolds called Spirited is uh, is available on Apple Plus, and it's delightful if you have any tolerance for musicals at all. If you don't like musicals. Don't watch it. But relevant to what you're saying oh, is, well, cool. is there's a character in the movie that may or may not be Ebenezer Scrooge. And um, 
he gets uh, interviewed by another character and he she says the leading cause of death in the 19th century was January. Yeah. Yeah. And so venereal disease, you know, I could tie it in, but proceed. So, um, pressing Leal, of course, when you when you declared war, you monitor one another's uh, press sure. efforts. And the Germans had read this. And in a virtuoso display of both their kind of uncontested air power superiority and their knowledge of their conversation with their foes, the Third Reich promptly bombed Lille with two heavy bombers' worth of perfume and makeup. It was the Lille perfume bombing of 1939. Uh, and I would maintain that in this, and without making uh, light of the privations, uh, that were later visited upon the good burghers of Lille under Nazi occupation, the Germans displayed a level of humour with which one might not otherwise instinctively have credited them. The Germans, no. In, indeed. Yeah. And that is the story uh, of the Lille perfume bombing. I got a little um, caveat from around the same time, which I thought you might like, Brian. A little coda. Um, we, the British, referred to Germany as Zwolfland in wartime codes, 12land. Uh, the Germans had so um, comprehensively bust our codes uh, and in so publicly known a fashion that one festive season in Istanbul uh, in this uh, phony war period, when the German national anthem was played at a hotel party, the German embassy staff at the party stood up and sang Zwolfland, Zwolfland, Uber Ales <laughs> to the table of British diplomats in attendance. And of course, Britain carried on doggedly calling Germany Zwolfland for the rest of the war in all of our sure. cables. And I don't have enough fingers to do 12, but I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the first one. And um, you also wanted me to tell the story of Operation Wikinger. Yeah, the because German they're... Wikinger, I suppose. Wikinger, excuse me. Um, which is a related story. Yeah. So um, it's not, whilst um, there were Related military, and more, more lessons, lessons from, from history. history. Indeed. Whilst there weren't military actions during the phony war, um, casualties were still incurred in it. Yeah. And this is the story of a major loss suffered by the first destroyer flotilla of the German Kriegsmarine. And they suffered that loss at the hands of the Luftwaffe. It's a classic example of the harm that can be done by the lack of coordination. Mm -hmm. uh, the German Navy had been tasked with disrupting British fishing. And this, at least with the blessing of hindsight, which means we can uh, understand the loss of over 500 lives in the course of the operation I'm about to describe, that objective might seem a relatively obscure one. Uh, but in any case, the Kriegsmarine set off to foul up British fishermen at a place called Dogger Bank, and um, Brian, you not to know this unless you're a late night listener to the BBC, but um, our shipping forecast in the UK, often used by people like me as an aid to restful sleep, if you can't uh, get your head down after midnight, I'll briefly explain it for those who are sniggering at the back, uh, the sniggering at the back at the name Dogger Bank. It's a large sand bank, 60 miles from the English coast in the North Sea. And for many, like for hundreds of years, it's been a fruitful spot for fishing. Uh, hence its appearance in the, the shipping forecast. And the name comes from a medieval uh, Dutch uh, fishing boat, which were called uh, Doggers. I don't know how different it is to a flow bark, but anyway, like like that. 
Kriegsmarine sent six destroyers to deal with this absolutely vital issue of disturbing British fishing. They did not have an aerial capability of their own, unlike the fleet air arm of the British forces. So they were dependent upon the Luftwaffe for air cover. And at the same time, uh, and you may realize this is a bad idea, but at the same time, separately, the Luftwaffe was conducting anti-shipping operations in the North Sea. So thus it came about that a Heinkel 111 bomber was overhead when the uh, Wikinger flotilla was at sea, Wikinger flotilla was at sea. And that bomber was not recognized as one of their own. It was, wasn't recognized as a Luftwaffe plane. So the destroyers in the flotilla fired upon it. And uh, I'm sure the bomber crew didn't appreciate being fired on. And they no doubt then thought the ships were allied uh, amongst from the allies. And, and so the yeah. ship bombed them. So one destroyer, uh, the Lebrecht Mars, promptly broke up and sank very quickly. The rest of the flotilla broke their formation, either to aid the crew in the water or to avoid being bombed themselves. And a second destroyer, uh, the Max Schultz, struck a mine. By the way, no Allied involvement. Even the mine was German. They struck one of their own uh, mines in, in the ocean. And so she sank too. Now you're, you're minus uh, the Lebrecht Mars and you're minus the Max Schultz uh, sinking um, with all hands in the water. And so you've got a lot of explosions, you've got a lot of dying going on, and temperatures are running rather high. And there were wild reports going between the rest of these German boats that were still afloat uh, of having been fired on by the completely absent British. Right. right? So we must have been fired on by British submarines. Uh, and that caused yet further panic. And the, the Theodor Riedel, another uh, ship in the flotilla, dropped depth charges to try and destroy these illusionary, fictitious, non-present submarines. And when she did that, <laughs> she did it so badly and then went over her own depth charges and blew up her own rudder. So she that couldn't happens. steer. Right. So the four remaining ships of the first flotilla of the German Kriegsmarine limp back to port. Um, to uh, admit the loss of 578 souls, and such was the outcome of Operation uh, Vikinger. And I just, I have, as, as so often, I have one little um, coda to it, because the Friedrich Eckholt, which was the lead ship in the Kriegsmarine in that operation, uh, it just had terrible luck. Uh, on New Year's Eve in 1942, she sailed up to the. Um, German heavy cruiser, the Admiral Hipper, but it wasn't the Hipper. She'd identified the ship as the Hipper. It was, in fact, the British light cruiser, HMS Sheffield. And uh, the Sheffield took them completely by surprise uh, when it opened fire upon the air cold, which promptly sank with the loss of all hands without firing a shot. So uh, Wikinger itself was a disaster, and the ships involved with it had a pretty bad record, too. Yeah. Well, we both know a number of people who study war chaos for a living, right? Yeah. And there's, there's even a, even in the modern age where you might people you know, might think course, these things are yeah. eliminated by technology, it ain't so. At, not at all. I mean, it's happening in Ukraine. It's happening in the South China Sea. It's happening probably in other allied places that we wouldn't expect it's messy and technology can't solve those problems. So, you know, yeah. like what's the lessons from history here? Well, of course, when um, 
conflict uh, a plan never survives contact with the enemy it right. is a is a, a a true the re cliches are cliches because they're true generally speaking exactly and mike tyson said that you know everyone who's got a plan then i punch them in the Until face then, punched, then, they're, yeah. then they don't want a plan anymore right. uh, which is complicated too if you're punching yourself in the face as per operation weekinger but um i think that or a fight club or fight club i think <laughs> that the important um lesson here is that the basic thing the Allies got right and the Germans did not at the outset of the war was realizing that regimental or unit pride and commitment to your core, your cadre, it, it is vital. But allowing that to escalate to the extent to which services don't cooperate is disastrous. And in, yeah. in their different ways, all of the Allies, uh, and of course the Americans had, you, you had an equivalent um naval air service and say yeah, air, yeah. air force and so forth. um the kriegsmarine was so was 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 a was a prominent navy yeah. uh, the luftwaffe was the preeminent air power of the age the wehrmacht uh, had a, a born of that prussian tradition had a remarkable uh, track record notwithstanding and cool uniforms uh, not indeed notwithstanding um uh, the first world war the, the germans had a uh, had a right to think of themselves as the premium fighting force in the world at the time vastly outnumbered by the close by their enemy but it their peacock pride within their own services is what undid them in in the examples we're talking about and, and vikinger is, is a particularly acute one because it could yeah. have been that that could have been avoided with the simplest of communications yeah, between yeah. between one another and a single Heinkel sinking two destroyers and causing the crippling of a third is would be an amazing outcome if it had been inflicted upon the enemy. Right. That being that being inflicted <laughs> upon right. one's own side right. is, is one of the most remarkable feats of the war. And not in a good way. Right. So uh, we've hit this theme many times before, but I, I'm going to say it again because I feel so strongly about it. Um. I believe the Western democracies are in an existential struggle with dictatorship today, you know, faced by Vladimir Putin, but it could be Xi Jinping or, you know, whoever. And what can we learn from these stories that would help us uh, deter future aggression? Because, the the dictatorships are not backing off right like they're right. they're pushing it so um the the first thing is going to seem flippant but I, I don't mean it to be the first thing is that you've got to hope that you've got an enemy as badly organized as this mm -hmm. and the, the 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 reason that you may be entitled to at least hope that is displayed by the second thing which is that your enemy is far more likely to make mistakes like this if they live in a bitterly hierarchical command yeah. economy and command yeah. culture which brutally punishes dissent disobedience disagreement and yeah. treats people uh at the bottom as if they're scum to be deployed where right. people at the top or cannon fodder as russia is doing it, right it, now it, in ukraine it, yeah. exactly well that's exactly the right comparison so if you live in a culture where the leadership goes genuinely unquestioned it's far more likely these kinds of mistakes emerge and the key next the next part is to willingly exploit those uh those gaps yeah. in coordination and organization and whilst it's a very intriguing thing and in 30 years time when we're doing the hidden history at happy hour 
in um, 2053. Uh, yeah. And uh, the files are opened on what happened during this conflict. Everything's yeah, declassified now. When things point, are declassified, yeah. <laughs> we will learn of the ways, I believe, that um, the democratic West has assisted Ukraine and they will yeah. be multitudinous, but some of them will be intelligence-based and some of oh. them will be about exploiting the kinds of gaps, loopholes, stupid separations between uh, groups and organizations on the battlefield and tactically in the way we're discussing today. So not only do I think there are lessons to be learned from these stories, I think they're being demonstrated in real time right now in Europe's largest country. Yeah. So people should stay tuned to the Hidden History Happy Hour to get those lessons. You know, the last thing I want to talk about, and then we'll um, we'll sign off for today, is how does all of this work into the sweep of history? So probably since, I don't know, 300 years ago, we've had this existential conflict between Western democracy and Eastern um, various forms of dictatorship. And we think, and I think, and I believe, and I will say that the openness and the multicultural nature of our system makes us more equipped to win the fight. But mm. there's a counter argument. And yes, how it, do you it, view that? It, it is the loss of the democracies to fight with one arm tied behind their backs. Yeah. Uh, because they don't believe in deploying their people as pawns. They don't believe in command economies which um, exploit human capital in the way that their enemy is willing to do. Um, I, one funny example, we couldn't work out for ages in the West why how the Russians had, had been able to manufacture a plane that could fly as fast and as high as it did because we knew that that was exposing pilots to lethal radiation. We and did. Didn't care. We, we well, we spent millions of dollars yeah. in laboratories and hundreds of thousands of dollars on research on both sides of the Atlantic, trying to work out how yeah. they'd done it. And you know, they had they they'd made entire planes out of titanium. And the Cold War, uh, it wasn't even the Cold War coming to an end. We had a defector, and, and the answer was, "What do you mean? We didn't create a titanium plane. We're not immune from this." these levels of radiation we just fly anyway because it's that's yeah. what our country tells us to do and it was so far the reason i mentioned it it was so far out with our um philosophical mindset it was so out far outside our thinking that we couldn't even imagine that they'd taken these highly qualified yeah. highly trained pilots and regarded them as completely expendable Canada in the course even yeah. exactly so it's been with us for a long time um let us pray that this conflict in Ukraine finishes soon. Um, it is difficult to see, uh, I think, the restoration of normalization uh, of relations with Russia for as long as Putin is in place. But um, we, we must hope, first of all, and I think it'll happen over years, actually, not, not over um, days or weeks. But let us uh, hope for the cessation of hostilities as soon as possible. So it's January 13th, 2023. I will say that I believe by... January 13, 2025, Putin is gone. There's a new leadership. I don't know whether there'll be any more willing to deal with democratic movements on the Eastern Front, but he's done. 
I think I think he doesn't have a year to go. On the Western front, I assume. But yeah, um, I think um, <laughs> sure Western, Eastern, whatever. Oh, sorry, so they're 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 Western, <laughs> they're Eastern. Sorry, yes, very. No, yeah, um, I, I I I think um, I think that's a, a not unreasonable perspective. Uh, but we mustn't pin all our hopes on change. I just an example of, of that is that um, in reviews of the year to come, many reputable magazines and publications and thoughtful journals forecast the fall of Castro every single year for like 50 <laughs> years. Right? Castro, so, Castro's brother, whatever. Yeah, you, what you can't, yeah, so you can't bank on the other guy going. You've got to make the change no, yourself. For sure. And I'm going to say talking to you, brother. Go ahead. I'm going to say one last thing about that. I know you want to sign off. I'm going to say one last thing about that, which is that I think we're going to be proved right in 2026, 2027. Russia is a sideshow. What we really care about is Taiwan and China. And I think we'll be revisiting that many times in 2023, 2024, 2025. And I look forward to it. And so, so I thought I thought of you because I've just been watching a, a TV show um, in which rhetorically a character says to his fellow members of the CIA, what is the CIA really for? And the other two chorus uncoordinatedly, screwing up China. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. No. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Core, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers. Cheers.